For the last two or three weeks, we've been discussing this this passage here in Romans chapter 12. Now, at first we discussed it under the subject of not being conformed to the world and being transformed, a couple different lessons. And then because of some things that I said and went away thinking, well, I, I guess I was a little bit negative about the common culture, and I wanted people to see, you know, a fuller picture of some things that were addressed in scriptures about the world that we live in. I decided to do some lessons on our relationship to the common culture that we live in as Americans here in this world in light of the fact that we're Christians and called to a different world. And so uh, we talked about that uh, subject for a while, but God says here in Romans chapter, last week I should say, I'm going to continue that today. Uh, Paul says in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable to God, which is your reasonable or service from your heart or your mind. So he says that we're to present our bodies a living sacrifice, not a dead one like they did in the Old Testament, but our bodies are brought to an altar, laid on the altar. Now this body that we have now belongs to the Lord to do what he will with. And our will must be brought, because of that, our will must be brought in line with his will. And he says then we use our mind, our heart, to present our bodies in this way and acceptably serve the Lord. This is the premise of being a Christian. It about, about what country you're born into, or even in the sense of, well, I attend a church once in a while, so I must be a Christian. It's not about that. All It's about presenting your body every day and everything you do to the will of God. And that's what's missed so often. And he says, because of this, we cannot be conformed or molded into the shape of the common culture. The word world here means the common culture that you live in around you. And we saw this previously. I'll go back. If you want to uh, get the details, then go back and listen to the lessons online, weirdjustchristians.com, and you'll see we go into detail about that. But instead of being conformed, we have to be transformed or metamorphosized, is the literal word, into something different than we were before. Our thoughts, our heart, our actions are going to have to be going to, going to have to be changed into something different. It's not a miraculous process in the sense that God's going to come in there and just do this to you through something we might call the Holy Spirit. The Spirit acts on you through this Word that God has given, and over time, as you bring your heart and mind into conformity with God's thinking, your actions are going to change. We discussed that at length uh, in the previous lesson. We'll not go back too far into that. But I do want you to go and and uh, we'll start here and then we'll jump ahead a little bit. Jesus said that we are his disciples. In John 17, he said, I pray for them because they are in the world, but they are not of the world. Paraphrasing a couple of verses put together. And this is where we find ourselves as New Testament Christians. We're living in the common culture, the common world around us. But we are not of that, of the same nature. We have to be different than that. And this presents so many difficulties and and for the Christian. Not only because, as Lot will come to later, whose righteous spirit was vexed from day to day living among the wicked people. But also because it's it's difficult and confusing for us to know what to do sometimes. How we ought to live and dress and act and speak. Because we, we, we see all this around us that just pushes us in a certain direction. We can get caught up in it. And we sometimes don't know what the right thing to do is. And that's the struggle that we have. So it's difficult. But 
I went to the, I went last week to this passage in Jude, a little known passage. I think can help us to see how we have to view the world in a couple of ways. So bear with me if it seems odd. Bear with me through this, and I think that you will see perhaps where I'm going with this. And unless we cultivate a certain attitude toward the world around us, what we see in the media, on the internet, and then we have to correlate that with what we see among our friends and family members, and their differences have to be made. And sometimes Christians are very antagonistic to the people that they should not be antagonistic toward. Other times they're very accommodating to the people that they should be antagonistic toward because they don't make the right distinction. Jude says, but you, beloved, verse 17 of the book of Jude, but you, beloved, remember the words which were spoken before by the apostle for Lord Jesus Christ. He points us once again back to the word to know how to think, how our minds should be set. And how they told you, the apostles did, that there would be mockers in the last time who would come and walk according to their ungodly lust. Who are those mockers? We see them every day in Hollywood, in the media, in the music world, and, and everywhere around us, in, among the professors and people. A lot of our leaders are these mockers who do not believe, nor they will. They, they, won't, they sometimes won't say this openly because they'd like to get elected. and They'd like to sell you something even though they think that you're a fool. A bitter clinger, you know, clinging to your ignorance. They still want to sell you something and control you. But mockers are all around us. They mock the Lord Jesus Christ. They, they look down on your faith, and especially the faith that most of us share, which is a simple faith in the words of the Scriptures that we're going to follow, that we believe that Jesus Christ came, He lived, He actually rose from the dead, and He's coming back. Someday to judge the world. We believe that, that that's true. The New York Times says that kind of person is not only ignorant. There were an article about this more than once. Not only ignorant, but that kind of person is dangerous if you believe those things. Now, this is what they think of you. These are mockers, and they control our society. And yet we're living among them. We have to, and we should live among them, and we have to do so, bearing the image of Christ, into this world that we live in. Now he says, they told you these people were there. Now these are sensual persons, he said, Jude says, who, who cause divisions, not having the spirit. And here's what that word sensual means. Literally, it means governed by breath. They're animals. They, they're only governed by animal instincts. When does your dog decide to eat? Whenever he feels like it. Who does he decide to mate with? This, whoever he feels like it. Whenever his body tells him it's time to do this, he does that. You can train him other ways, but you're when you train a dog, you're still training his senses. He, has, he realizes my senses say I'd rather do this than it. So he's an animal. And people like this are animals. They only go by what they feel like doing and how they feel. And they keep teaching you and your children, you need to do what your heart says. Do what you feel like doing all the time. That's what they want you to be. Christians, he says, are not like that. And he says this sensuous nature with its subjection to appetite and passion. He says here that these are these sensual persons, they do not have the Spirit. The Spirit is the Word of God that guides us. It's different. So 
there's this fundamental difference between New Testament Christians and everybody else around them, and particularly these mockers who lead society, oftentimes, unfortunately, who are governed by their passions, and you are supposed to be governed by the Word of God. That's a fundamental divide that you can never forget where the advice they give you and your children is coming from. It's coming not from the Spirit of God, but from their own passions. And so love is love is love. And all those kind of things. You're supposed to live by whatever you feel like living by. All right, I've talked about this a hundred times, and probably before I die, unless it's today, I'll talk about it a hundred more times. But I'm not going to apologize for that. If you live long enough, I believe you'll see that this is the truth from God's word about the fundamental difference that has to be maintained and how important it is. Now, what Jude, though, says about that is. He says here in verse 20, but you, beloved, you Christians, building yourselves up on your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, you keep yourselves in the love of God. Don't drift off in the love of man, the love of your own flesh, the love of pleasure. But keep in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. We're looking for something different than this world. We can't get caught up in here and now. We have to look ahead to the coming glory of Jesus Christ, the hope of eternal life. That's what guides our behavior as Christians, not the sensual passions that what we want tomorrow need to get today, you know. And he says about the world around us. Now, on some, he says, have compassion making a distinction. I think that's critical. It's easy to get all worked up like I do and and reading on the internet all these people doing all these bad things and get worked up and not make a distinction that you got to make. He says on some people, you need to have compassion. There are people around you, your friends, neighbors, family members, that are caught up in all of this. They don't know any better, as we'll see in a moment. And you need to have compassion on them. And with others, though, he says, you have to save with fear, literally snatching them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. These are the kind of people that you can try to save, but they're dangerous to your faith. And they can hurt you spiritually. And they will defile you, the garment spotted by the flesh, they'll defile you when you try to save them. And the old saying is, when you're wrestling with a pig, you're going to get muddy. And I felt this in dealing with some situations, debating people and stuff. It's easy to get caught up in the way people think and in the, and, and you get angry like they are and so your passions boil up and you become a pig like them. Get muddy. Be careful. So in trying to attack the wickedness of the world, some Christians have become to, come to act like the world in the way that they do their debating, in the way they do their arguing, in the way they do their, live their life, in the hatred that comes into their heart. This is the danger, he says. We have to snatch people from the fire carefully. They'll burn you. You'll get burned. And so you be careful. There's different kinds of people. Now, he said, so he says on some of them people, on some people have compassion, making a distinction. But others... You save with fear and you snatch them or pull them out of the fire and you hate even the garment defiled by the flesh. I think that's an interesting scripture. It's one that's not talked about a lot. But I think it sets us up to try to deal a little bit with what we see around us. It's not all cut and dry in the way we should handle every situation 
that comes up. And I mentioned last week, we won't have to, we won't go there and rehash that. But when you, when you look at uh, John 4, where Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman. Now the Samaritans were not godly people. They were worshiping Jehovah incorrectly. They, they had a lot of immorality in the Samaritan culture at that time. The Jews who were trying to serve God stayed away from them for the most part because of this. But Jesus meets a Samaritan woman and when they discuss things, she's a, she's a smart woman and she tries to ask him some questions about this living water that he's offering her. And he says, go call your husband. And she says, I don't have a husband. And he says, yes, that's correct. You've had five husbands and the man you're living with now is not your husband. Well, how do you like that? She was taken aback by that. She goes, sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Oh, really? No kidding. Oh, I wonder what she's really thinking. I perceive you're a prophet. And you also just dissed on an unwed mother, and you know, and I'm, I'm, I, you know, we, that's what we say today. Jesus was not mean to her. He was trying to point out to her, you've been caught up in a lifestyle that's brought you to where you are. And let me tell you something, ma'am, you do need me. You do need living water. You're in a situation that's crying out for some help. Why does a person end up where she did? Now, we can go back and look at the code. Well, maybe men did this to her. Whenever women have a problem, the answer today is, well, it's always a man's fault somewhere. I know that. I can, if you read the article long enough, you'll find out it's a man's fault. I mean, her father mated with her mother and she was born. So it's a man's fault at the very root of it. I, I mean, you can always go back that far. Is that true that it's always a man's fault? Of course not. Sometimes it is a lot. And she may have been abused. I think Jesus is trying to point out to her, you've done wrong and these men have abused you too. Both these things have happened to you. And you're living a life that you don't even like right now. It's a laborious life carrying this water. For someone that's not even your husband, I can give you something different if you want it. He was showing compassion to this woman. He wasn't trying to condemn her as some kind of a bad, immoral person. What she was doing was wrong. I don't know how she got there. But she needed something different. Now this is the appeal of the gospel in modern times. This is where we find most of the people that we meet. They have, they're living the life they live, and it's sometimes filled with immorality and fornication and drug abuse and lying and gossip and everything else. They find themselves there not because they are irredeemably bad people like Cain or some other wicked, slanderous person like a lot of the movie stars that you see. Some of them are in the same boat. They're just deceived too. And they follow the crowd that they're with. Others are intentionally rebellious against God. Make that distinction. But Jesus was trying to give her a better way to go out. He wasn't just condemning her. He was pointing out where her need was. Yes, you do need something. And I think this is a, a tool that we can use to help us to see many of our neighbors just need some compassion and guidance to figure out. Now then, there's other people you meet that have had sick five husbands and now live with somebody who are dangerous to you and your children as far as the influence they're going to have on your family. And I do see this happening to women a lot. They really need someone to, to help them, 
and they drag any old guy in off the street who's been in prison and had a, and is a drug addict and doesn't have a job, and they want to live with them and introduce them to their teen, to their young daughters. It's incredible to watch this happen over and over again. These women are bringing home these men because they need a companion or need some kind of man around who they, you know, and they bring him in into their family and ends up hurting and abusing them and their daughters or their children. It, it makes you cry. It makes you sick. But, uh, uh, you know, it, it's part of this whole problem that, that our culture is so confused about. You know, the two headlines in women's magazines, you know what they are, don't you? There's two headlines in women. You can stop at Publix or wherever, Walmart, wherever you do your fine grocery shopping or whatever, and you can see the two kinds of, the same article women's magazine. Number one is how to find a man. Well, no, the, the first article is men are pigs. That's the generic title, men are pigs. Then the second article is how to find a man. Now this is where this is where women are today. Men look at that and they scratch their head, but they don't see the contrary. And this is this is the confusion of this Samaritan woman. It's an age-old problem, and Jesus doesn't hate her for that or mock her for that. He's trying to point her in the right direction. Now I could spend a long time talking about that, but I'm not going to anymore. I I, I should, but we need to move on. And we saw then though that. Hang on, I'm trying to go somewhere here. Not taking me there. We saw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, though, facing the king's edict. And they just wouldn't bow down to him. They would not bow down to his idols. They would not submit to him. They said, whatever happens, whether God saves us or not, we will not bow down to you. Let it be known to you, king. And he threw him in the furnace. Now, God saved them, but they didn't know he was going to save them beforehand. And we see that. And so we need to have this attitude that some people we can try to help. Were they were they doing Nebuchadnezzar a favor here? Were they helping Nebuchadnezzar? They were trying to. You think Nebuchadnezzar needed to hear? We don't have to. We don't have no need to make an answer to you, Nebuchadnezzar, for this because we serve God, the God of heaven, and you're just the, you're just the king. You're just the most powerful man in the world. That's all you are is the most powerful man in the world. But we don't have to serve you when you tell us to contradict God. We don't have to serve you. Now they were doing him a favor. In fact, if you read the whole story of Nebuchadnezzar in the book of Daniel, you'll see he he eventually God he, he he's driven mad by God, and he goes out in the wilderness and acts like a, a dog for. Three years, is it three years, something like that? Nebuchadnezzar's out wandering around, uh, unclothed, beard growing, and wandering around all fours. Finally, he comes to his senses, and God restores him to some position. Now, there's some historical evidence for that, Nebuchadnezzar. I don't think he was all as bad a person as we might think in many ways from God's standpoint. God tried to save him. And, Dan, and the three friends here. And Daniel tried to save Nebuchadnezzar. He didn't listen. But they spoke the truth to this powerful man without insulting him, without calling him names. They told him the truth. And by the, their courage, just Hebrew slaves, ordinary people, by their courage, they gave him an example and showed him the right way to go. He rejected it. 
to his own hurt. Now, we see him sort of believing. Notice this reaction to the world, making a distinction here. Here we see sometimes as Christians we're faced with this kind of choice with powerful political people. Now we see these Pharisees and Sadducees and we think that they're religious people. I doubt, I'm beginning to doubt that analysis to a large degree. They were, they were religious in an outward sense, but they were just politicians. And when you read history about them, you see just what they were. They were power hungry politicians seeking to make money off the people and off the Romans. That's all the Pharisees, many of them were. And especially Ananias and Caiaphas and those people. And so they bring in the early apostles, Peter and them, and they said to them, look, but so, so that it spreads no further among the people, this, this preaching about Jesus. They said, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. And there's the problem. They weren't just talking about some theory of theirs. They were trying to talk to the people about the name of Jesus Christ. That's your problem. If you were talking about Buddha, they wouldn't have a problem. If you're talking about Muhammad, I know they won't have a problem. But you talk about Jesus Christ in school, now you got a problem. Okay? It's always been that way. We, we tried to put a stop to that in the United States for some, some decades, but we, we, we haven't been able to succeed. Now we're back to where we were before the United States was founded that you can't speak in the name of Jesus Christ. And, and so they called them and commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. That's what we're being told today by people around us. Don't speak in his name. And Peter and John answered unto them and said, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you more than to God, you judge. <laughs> You think, which one do you think? But for, but we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. We're going to keep talking about this. And, and it says then that they beat them and let them go. We'll see this more than once. In Acts chapter 4, a little bit later, in verse 25, they go back to the other disciples, that Peter and John, do, and tell them what happened. Now, I want you to look at this passage because I think it's it's instructive. And it's often I think it's missed in our dealing. People say, "Well, no, you shouldn't you shouldn't be political." Well, we have to define what that means. What does it mean to be political? Because pol politics is in this verse right here. Now, not they only object to politics in churches when it doesn't fit what they want to do. Lots of people can talk about politics in churches if they say the right things about the right people. We've seen that this very week. But, notice this. The apostles say, who by the mouth of your, he's praying, who by the mouth of your servant David has said, why did the nations rage and the people plot vain things? The kings of the earth. Is that political? Yeah, it could be. The kings of the earth took their stand and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. So we see then that the rulers and the kings were united and they're quoting the Psalms as a prophecy about Christ and the early church 
that the rulers of the nations got together and are opposed to Jesus Christ. The rulers of the people. And what were they supposed to do about that? Just say, well, we can't talk about politics and religion. No, they were supposed to oppose that idea and continue to do what was right. Not try to get certain, not get up and, and, and do a campaign speech for a particular candidate. Of course, that's done all the time. If you're on the right side of things, that's done all the time. But, but still, that he's talking about political figures here when he talks about rulers and kings and they oppose. I've told you many times, I don't think there's ever been a world empire or a powerful nation that has not been enemies of New Testament Christians or God's people. They don't care about the high religions and the big religions. They don't care about them because those people will knuckle under. They're interested in power and so is the state, and so those people can find a common ground. But big governments and empires and people like that do not like Christians like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I know they weren't New Testament Christians, but they were God's servants, who say, we don't have to answer you about this king because we have a bigger king than you. What was it that they put Christ to death for? Because he, they said he's going to make himself a king like you, Caesar. They put him to death for that. And when they know and understand that you will not bow down to their king and their idols, they will oppose you. It takes a long time, but it happens. And it says uh, here in Acts 4, For truly against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, were they politicians? Were they government officials? Of course they were. With the Gentiles, and that's the common culture, that's all the rest of the people, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, even the Jews got in this, they were gathered together to do whatever your hand and your purpose determined before to be done. They get, they were gathered together there at Calvary and they carried out their own will. He said, now that was your will. You allowed it to happen, God. But all these political figures and the people were gathered together against God's anointed one. And, and it says then, verse 40, after they did it again, they went out and preached again. The leaders, that when they had called the apostles and had beaten them, they commanded that they should not speak in, what? Speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. There it is again. Speak in that name. And so they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer for shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house they did not cease teaching preaching Jesus as the Christ. So this is their attitude from the beginning. And I hate to say that I've lived long enough to see that these verses could come true again in my lifetime. It's a shame. It's heartbreaking. But what are we going to do about that? Well, we have a relationship with the common culture and with our leaders. And when we see, begin to see more and more of them that want to beat you and let you go and tell you not to say anything in Jesus' name again, Others that gathered the people together to get them to agree with that, we're going to have to think about what that means for us. Now, as far as the Christian attitude toward worldly society, I want you to read this verse from 1 Peter 4 with me. My wife told me last week your sermon was a little disjointed. 
Had she asked ahead of time, I would have said, this sermon is going to be a little disjointed. And that may be. I'm trying to pull together a lot of different things into one place. But bear with me for a moment and come with me over to 1 Peter. Peter says, this is the same Peter that stood before this council and was beaten. Same one ended up in prison. All kind of other things. This Peter says, Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Stop right there for a moment. Arm yourselves with the same mind. Is that not what he said in Romans 12, what Paul said in Romans 12? That by the transforming of our mind, we can serve the Lord with a living sacrifice? If you're going to live in this world, he says, as a Christian, you're going to, have to follow the example of Christ, who was put to death for who he was, for the fact that he would not bow the knee to Caesar, for the fact that he would oppose the leaders of his day, for the fact that he was only going to do God's will, not his own will. They put him to death for it. He suffered in the flesh, suffered shame in the flesh. The point of the cross was shame, not just physical pain. It was shame. And he says, if you're going to serve Christ, You've got to arm yourselves with the same mind, a willingness to be derided and criticized by the present society, by the world around you. Arm yourself with that mind and then go forth, not as the enemy of everybody that you meet, not as an antagonist. Like he wasn't antagonistic toward the woman at the well and many other people that he met. But he knew that they couldn't remain where they were and be saved. They had to be different and he had to be different. And so he says, the first thing is, he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. You're going to have to start living differently for this to matter. Why? That we should no longer live the rest of your time in the flesh for the lusts of men, but for the will of God. I've talked about this verse before. This is a good verse for this present day and for Christians today, many of whom who've had past as young people and even maybe as middle-aged people, filled with doing whatever they want to do, with immorality, with different kinds of lusts, with failures, and, and all kind of other things that happen to us as people in the world. He says, you've just got to come to the realization that time for that is past in your life if you want to serve the Lord. You've got to lay aside all that. You've got to get over trying to be hip and follow the hipster pastor around and go to a, the the church with the porn star pastors in, in California. You got to get over all of that, trying to fit in that way and realize. Okay, if you haven't heard that, look it up on the internet. I'm not making that up. That you can't live the rest of your life in the lust of men's flesh, but you've got to live according to the will of God. This is where we are. That's the arm. That's the mind that has to be armed with that. I'm going to serve the Lord Jesus Christ, and I'm going to be. A, Criticized by people around me, but that's okay. Now he goes on to say, for we have spent enough of our past lifetime in doing the will of the Gentiles. Not every single Gentile, they were Gentiles. But he meant by, he means by that the common culture. When we walked in lewdness and lust and drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, abominable idolatries. I think it's funny, I believe this is true, that, that the Winn-Dixie by my house, good old Winn-Dixie, remodeled, and they took over the Goodwill store next door and made a wine store out of it. I think that's happened. And, and you see, the big, you can't get in the parking lot where Circuit City used to be down by me because it's total wine. 
I don't know. It means something, okay? All that kind of stuff means something. Publix, they move out all the stuff that you might like, and they got a whole big wind-up. The men who started the Publix grocery store were devout in their Christians. One of them was a New Testament Christian originally, and the other one was a devout Baptist. They wouldn't even open up on Sunday. That was their slogan, never on Sunday. And now half the store is a liquor store once they die. Things, the times they are a-changing. What's he say? Well, the Gentiles, they love their lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. And I'm not saying that taking a sip of wine makes you an immoral sinner that's never going to be saved. We can talk about that, but that's not the point of what I'm saying. It's a direction that you're going. It's the direction that you're headed that's the problem. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them to the same flood of riot or dissipation, speaking evil of you. They will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead, Peter says. He goes on to say, as far as our attitude toward the world around us, Paul does. Do you not know, 1 Corinthians 6, that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. That's the most important thing he says there. Don't be deceived by the world around you. You want to fit in with all your friends and do like them and you, and you see it everywhere you go. Your language deteriorates. Your thoughts deteriorate. You begin to become more willing to give in to lusts and lewdness and, and treat women as sex objects because you're influenced by the world around you. You may not want to do those things. You don't set out to do them, but you're influenced by the common culture. Don't be deceived. And you preachers who are out there preaching that these things are okay, stop deceiving the people. Neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. He could list a whole bunch more. Boy, that's a whole year-long sermon series, isn't it? I just thought of that. And such were some of you, but you were washed. You were sanctified. You're set apart. You're justified in the name of the Lord. You're washed and clean, set apart, and stood up straight. That's justified in the name of the Lord Jesus by the Spirit of God. And he goes on to say in 1 Corinthians 10, or 2 Corinthians 10, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war against the flesh. Oh, excuse me. But for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. We don't use the same methods and tactics and weapons that they do in armies. Like some people still think that Christians should go out and get up physical military weapons and take over the country or something. This is the opposite of what he's saying. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal or fleshly, bullets and guns and whatever the case may be, but mighty in the sight of God, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Who could that be? What could a stronghold be? It's a government. It's a political power. It's some other kind of entity, he says. That's a stronghold, a, a position where the world has set up as a defense and as an offensive weapon. Our weapons of spiritual warfare can be powerful against those things and their words, what we're talking about. Why do you think they want to stop you from talking? Because words, got, got, they know, even though they don't know it, that words will bring down their stronghold. The words of God will bring down their stronghold. That's why they want to stop you from talking. 
casting down arguments. That's the logical thinking. An argument is not just a dispute, but it's, an, it's thinking in terms of how the world justifies its positions. And every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. What should your attitude toward the world be? We have to realize the world we live in is opposed to what is good. The powers that be in most countries, most of the time, are opposed to God's will. They want to be in control. They oppose God's will and Christians that are living it. And the words God has given you and the life he gave you to live is against that. And it will has power against it. The, the simple Christian, ordinary slaves of the Roman Empire eventually brought down the Roman Empire by the lives they lived and by what they taught their neighbors. That's what history tells us. And that'll work today, but they're making an attempt to do two things, to silence Christians who will speak out, make all the other Christians act just like the world. That's what they're seeing. That's what work, it works. But he says that our attitude is to be that we are not going to give in to the system around us. We're going to oppose it by words, not by violence. Why do you think now it's a big thing in our culture that language is considered to be violence and it's the same as abuse? That verbal abuse is considered a big thing. Why? I think the devil and his minions, whether they, even if they don't know it, they know through that influence that words have power against them. They even want to stop comedy and sarcasm and, you know, the Babylon Bee sometimes because it doesn't conform to their thinking by words. So they know we shouldn't be using guns as Christians, but now they want to stop you from speaking the truth because they know. And we got to think about that. This goes cuts across political lines. I have no interest in any government, whether you consider it liberal or conservative, that wants to shut down Christians from saying what the Word of God says. I don't want to shut them down either. I've said on this radio show, sitting in that room right there more than once. I have no interest on this show or this church has no interest on stopping people from saying what they want to say. If you want to get on the air somewhere and you under your time and your daughter and say the homosexuality is wonderful and great, more power to you. I don't say more power to you. That's okay. I'm not going to try to get you off the air or shut you up. God will do that eventually. But what I'm against is you trying to shut me up. That's what I'm against. That's where we are. And the word of God needs... So Christians need to then... Here's what Paul said. His enemy that was trying... And if they eventually succeeded in getting Paul killed. Were the Jews who had become Christians or just the Jews. Who didn't like him saying that Gentiles could be saved without being circumcised. They wanted the Gentiles who were coming into the church to have to keep Jewish laws. Among them circumcision. And they really talked a lot about circumcision, which is a lot of much passages about that in the New Testament. He says, you know, to the Galatians, I wish those who were troubling you would even mutilate themselves. Very kind Christian words, isn't it? Paul says they're so interested in circumcising everybody. I wish that just let the knife slip and, and literally this says amputate themselves. But boy, if I say anything even sarcastic, oh, you're not really a Christian. You can't, you can't say anything sarcastic about 
that person or this person? Really? Jesus can call Herod a fox? Paul can say that his enemies, he wished because of the way they teach false doctrine, they'd even mutilate themselves? Did he go around trying to mutilate them? Now that's the, that's a big difference. He didn't advocate that they, that other people mutilate them or that Christians take up arms against them. But he understood that these people were enemies of the cross and they ought to be opposed. Now then, moving forward, I'm still not going to get, oh my goodness, look at the time. I'm so enthralled by what I'm saying, I didn't even look at the time. I am so sorry about that. I apologize, but, but I'm only on slide 32 of 42 here. It's a real conundrum. And the more I talk about that, the more time goes by. Well, we're, we're going, we're going to pick up the rest of this because I've got a whole nother way of dealing with it. There's a whole nother part of the sermon coming that's not like this. I think I've just made my problem from the beginning worse by talking bad about the world. I think I made it worse, but I'm going to make it better. I trust, trust me, but you'll have to try to stay alive this week till next Sunday. And, and so you can hear this and you have to come back. But, uh, anyway. I appreciate it very much. We, we, we do need to stop. I apologize. I did not mean, I didn't even look up. And I have an excuse. I have a scratch cornea, glass I can't see out of. So, you know, I'm just going to use that for my excuse today. We're going to close our service today by singing uh, number 454, Nothing But the Blood of Jesus, that Joel has selected. And is our, is our custom, and it's really oriented in, in the Bible. It's not just something we want to do. We want to give everyone a chance to, re to respond to the gospel of Christ while the message is still fresh on your mind that you may want to become a Christian. You ought to become a Christian. You, Christian, you ought to be moved to serve the Lord and to throw away the doctrines of men and the teaching of the people around you and serve just the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what we want you to do. And you do that by believing in him, confessing these God's son, repenting of your sins, turning away from that life you used to live and being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. We can do that this very morning. Everything is ready if you are. We have clothes for you. We have water. We have clothes. Your, bro your friends and neighbors want to see you do this. Will you, will you obey the gospel? We hope you will. Come to the front if you want to do that. If not, we can pray with you if you're a Christian already about a wrong or something going on in your life that you need prayer for. This is a good time to do that, and we'll help you today. You come right to the front. Let's stand and sing.